According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me once again, if you would, in uh, Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. Returning to our study, episode 22, the institution of the Lord's Supper. This is, I think, our third lesson in this. I'm trying to recall if I pull it up here. Life of Christ. All right, we've had three already. Lessons 378, 379, and 380 in the institution of the Lord's Supper. I think we ought to be able to wrap it up today. I say that. Um, try to wrap it up today. I want to get it done so that on Sunday night when uh, Ariel Ministries is here to teach us about Passover and communion and all the stupid stuff I get wrong, you know, he can fix it and teach you the real doctrine. How about that? I'm teasing. All right, Matthew 26. While they were eating. While they were eating. And that's all we've got. <laughs> okay. And uh, all the experts that come, including the, the wonderful fellow we're going to meet on Sunday, um, they have uh, ideas and they have estimations and guesswork Okay, that this was after the first cup or after the second cup. Or, uh, you know, Luke does mention two cups. Are they cups one and two? Are they cups two and three? Are they cups three and four? Which cups are they? At what point in the Passover dinner was this? Was this near the beginning, in the middle, at the end? Uh, anybody that tries to pinpoint it with an unbelievable precision, I just kind of smile and say, okay. And my Bible says, while they were eating. Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when He had taken a cup and given thanks, He gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Now, was, does this have to have been one of the four cups or three cups? Does this have to have been one of the cups associated with Passover? Could Passover have been completely over and done with by this point in time? See, because you notice in verse 21, they were eating there. You know, they had a night where they, they were eating a lot. They kept eating. In any event, it may have been after everything else was said and done. The unbeliever is gone. He told Judas, what you do, do quickly. And then... The last thing before they leave the room is, all right, let's let's have one more piece of bread. Let's have one more cup. And let's let's teach one more component of doctrine here. And so there it is. All right. Uh, it says, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. All right. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer to make sure we are filled with the Holy Spirit, equipped to handle spiritual truth. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day, the truth of Your Word, and the privilege we have to assemble together. We ask for your blessing upon our time together, the scriptures that we look at, the doctrine that we study, Father. 
Uh, guide us into the truth. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. We thank you, Father, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are in point four. Let me just skip on down here. Under point three, where we were last week, the new covenant is not with the church, but with Israel. And it's not with Israel at Christ's first advent. It's with Israel at Christ's second advent. Uh, because it requires Israel repentant and accepting Christ, regathered from the four corners of the earth. The very giving of that covenant demands that they be regathered from the four corners of the earth. That they go through the tribulation which humbles them. That they go through the discipline which prepares them for the coming of their, of their king. And uh, Jeremiah 31 deals with that. Jeremiah 32, Ezekiel 20, Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel 36, and Ezekiel 37, the, the dry bones. It requires a resurrected Israel with meat on the bones, a nation restored. That was not the circumstance in first advent. The new covenant is not with the church, but with Israel, repentant and accepting Christ. I find it interesting how many times in Christ's earthly ministry, disciples and friends and allies and critics alike, everybody kept, they were focused on the kingdom, focused on the kingdom, but not one asked them about the new covenant. You know, is this, is this the time now that you're going to restore the kingdom? Is this the time you're going to break the bonds of Rome? Is this the time we're going to exalt Jerusalem? But asking about the new covenant, is this the time when your law will be written on our hearts? They never asked him that. Is this the time where from the greatest of us to the least of us, we will all know you and, and none of us will teach one another? And did, they, did they cite Jeremiah? Were they excited about the new covenant? Not once that we have recorded in the gospel record. And every time he did speak to them about dying and shedding his blood, they didn't want to hear it. They would get angry. Peter would say, far be it. This should never happen to you. So here he is on this night in which he's betrayed telling them, uh, to take, eat of this, take, drink of this. Tremendous doctrine that is connected with this. All right. The new covenant is not with the church. It's with Israel, repentant and accepting of Christ, regathered from the four corners of the earth. Remember, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. It is his blood which allows him to be the mediator of this new covenant. Uh, there was blood that was shed as, as uh, enacting the Mosaic covenant. But this is a better sacrifice and it is a better covenant. All right. Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. Secondly, we are ministers of the new covenant. According to 2 Corinthians 3.6 and according to Hebrews 10.19-25. Our connection to the new covenant is only related to our connection to Christ. We are ministers, deacons of the new covenant. Servant ministers. Christ is the mediator. We are in Christ. And if you try to approach the new covenant in any other way, you're going to ha you're going to have problems, all right? Because it's not with the church; it's it's with Israel. We are not party to the covenant, all right? The covenant is between Yahweh and Israel. We are not party to that, but we have a connection with it by virtue of us being in Christ, the baptism of the church into union with Christ. Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. We are in Christ. We are ministers of the new covenant. And I think if we, if we understand it on that basis, we will do very well. Thirdly then, oops, there should be a C there. Oh no, never mind. There's only an A and a B. My fault. All right. 
So Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. And we are ministers of the new covenant. Is that clear enough? All right. A new covenant that will not be put into effect until when? The second advent of Jesus Christ. That's right. So what do we have to do today? You're going to leave here and go out there. Do you have responsibilities today related to the new covenant? You absolutely do not. That is correct. The only responsibility you have is to be preparing yourself. All right? To be preparing yourself for that day. Think about Christ's entire earthly life was preparing him for his current ministry and his resurrection, right? He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He learned how to be a faithful and merciful high priest in the things pertaining to God. So his whole earthly life was preparing him for what he would do once he was ascended and seated at the Father's right hand. Likewise, you and I today. You and I today are preparing ourselves for eternity. We're preparing ourselves for what we will do post-rapture. When we are caught up, when we are glorified, when we are transformed, the role we will have in the resurrection after the judgment seat of Christ, we will have with Christ when this new covenant is applied to the earthly nation of Israel. Then will we truly serve as deacons, all right, as servant ministers, server ministers of the new covenant in Christ to the nation of Israel. All right. Now, what I think will really tie this together for us is point four. The blood of the covenant establishes the contrast between Mosaic law and the new covenant. The blood of the covenant establishes the contrast between Mosaic law and the new covenant. Enacted on better promises. Ratified, enacted with a greater sacrifice. An eternal sacrifice. An infinite sacrifice. The Mosaic law was ratified by a shadow, by uh, an animal that had no value in himself, but an animal that was painting a picture of something yet future. All right, so Hebrews 7, verses 11 and 22, and Hebrews 8, 6. Join me in the book of Hebrews, and then we'll go to our Old Testament after this. I am not feeling the greatest this morning, so I don't know that we'll go the entire hour, but we'll, we'll go as long as I can. We'll go as long as uh, the Lord lets me. Hebrews chapter 7. <laughs> I go as long as uh, I try to evaluate who drove the furthest. And then based upon my guilt for how long they drove to get here. <laughs> All right. Hebrews 7.11 Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood gloss over the parentheses for the moment if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? If, if the Aaronic priesthood called here the Levitical priesthood if, if that got the job done if it, if it could bring about perfection, then we'd be done. That's all we would need. We wouldn't need for another priest to come along. All right? Perfection. But the Levitical priesthood could not bring about perfection. Notice it's not salvation 
people read that into it, it's perfection. Now, salvation is perfect. And we understand that the work of Christ on the cross provides for our salvation. But it provides for a lot of other things as well. It provides for the new covenant to be applied to the nation of Israel. In addition to unbelievers being reconciled to God the Father and being provided with eternal life. I thought we did a good job making this very clear last week as well. But the point is perfection. And Levitical priesthood could not do that. Neither could Levitical priesthood provide salvation. But that's not what's being emphasized here. Okay? It's, it's tragic to me, the people that teach Hebrews, that teach, look at that, Levitical priesthood could not provide salvation. I agree with you. But that's not what this passage is saying. <laughs> okay? I do agree with you, making a proper theological point. Levitical priesthood could not provide salvation. Neither could it provide perfection. And that's the point this verse is making. Now it goes on to describe why he had to come, uh, not in the order of Aaron, but under the order of Melchizedek. And notice now, verse 22, so much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The guarantee of a better covenant. And it's enacted on better promises. And it's uh, brought about through a better sacrifice, which we see here. Uh, notice the... Uh, Verse 23 of chapter 7, the former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. That's a drawback. You know, um, those Levitical priests kept dying, you know, of old age, if nothing else. And then their son became the new high priest. Then their son became the new high priest. And throughout the thousands of years, you know, you had how many high priests did you end up with? But Jesus, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. And so there's an advantage there to Christ and his priesthood over um, Aaron and his priesthood. And then there are other advantages. Advantages like he does not need daily to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Jesus doesn't have to offer up any sacrifices for his own sins. He is sinless and perfect. His priesthood is the one that operates on the basis of perfection. Uh, verse 28, how chapter 7 ends here. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. <laughs> we could have a New Testament equivalent. Hebrews 7:28. We could have a, uh, a uh, New Testament equivalent. We could say that uh, the church age features pastors who are weak. Physically weak, sinners, and all the rest. <clears throat> the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. You are my son. Today I have begotten thee. You are my son. I will make thee a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Why? Why? They already had a priesthood after the order of Aaron. Why? A new priesthood. Why? In any Old Testament believer, that would be a huge question, one that they would have to dwell on and consider. All right. Now, the main point of what has been said is this. We cross over into chapter 8. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. I love the fact that Jesus Christ never entered into the Holy of Holies on this earth. He never did. He wasn't entitled to. He wasn't, he didn't, he qualified. That was a different priesthood. That was the Levitical priesthood. He couldn't go into that Holy of Holies. 
But when he died on the cross, that veil was rent in two. He didn't have to go into that Holy of Holies. All he had to do was rent that veil in two and demonstrate that that approach is over. All right. He entered into the true tabernacle. Every high priest, uh, 8.3 here, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. That's what a priest does. Gifts and sacrifices in things pertaining to God and things pertaining to man. So it's necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. What kind of priest would he be if he had nothing to offer? Now, if he was on earth, he wouldn't be a priest at all. Again, that contrast. But what does he have to offer? Notice now, he's going to offer himself is what he's going to have to offer. Now, those priests, the earthly priests, serve a copy, but he serves in the reality. Verse 6, he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. Now, Moses mediated the first covenant, but he, Moses didn't sacrifice himself. Jesus is the mediator of this covenant and the blood of bulls and goats wasn't going to do it. All right. Not only to redeem us from our sins, but forget that for the moment to enact the eternal promises of the covenant that will be establishing Israel in their perfection. All right. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Obviously, I think that goes back to what we looked at in, in 7.11. Uh, if, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, why, why a second one? And uh, same thing in 8.7. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. But for finding fault with him, he says, behold, days are coming. And again, this reinforces Jeremiah. This reinforces the new covenant is going to be made at the second advent when the kingdom is, is manifest on earth. After the tribulation. All right. Now, the um, points under this. Subpoint A. The Mosaic parallel featured sprinkled blood. The Mosaic parallel featured sprinkled blood when the covenant was accepted by those party to his conditional promises. Please write this down. Write it down word for word. And then chew on it in the days ahead. This is subpoint A. Main point four, subpoint A. The Mosaic parallel featured sprinkled blood. Not just spread. Not, I mean, not just shed, but shed and then sprinkled. The Mosaic parallel featured sprinkled blood when the covenant was accepted by those party to his conditional promises. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 8. We need to turn back there and look at it. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 8. Notice, when the covenant was accepted, not when the animal was slain, not when the offering was made, but when those party to the covenant accepted the terms of the covenant, the, the previously shed blood now becomes sprinkled blood. And that's, that's a, there's a two-step process to this. We cannot be ignorant of this. The Mosaic parallel featured sprinkled blood. 
when the covenant was accepted by those party to His conditional promises. And we're going to be done today. You're going to understand the difference between shed blood and sprinkled blood. Okay? And, and you will not have the confusion that too many people have when they think that it's the shed blood of Christ on Friday, April 3rd, 33 A.D. The shed blood of Christ rather than the sprinkled blood of Christ that we have to focus on pertaining to the application with respect to the New Covenant. So, Exodus 24. And if you uh, fail to observe His conditional promises, underline the word conditional. The Mosaic Covenant was a conditional covenant. The Mosaic Covenant was an if you do this, I will bless you. If you do that, I will curse you. Covenant. A covenant where Israel had obligations. Israel could break this covenant and they did break this covenant again and again and again and again and again. The new covenant will be unconditional. Huge difference. And likewise, prior to the giving of this law via Moses, Israel had already received an unconditional covenant through Abraham. Israel already was God's object of blessing on an unconditional basis through Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. They already had land, seed, and blessing promises through Abraham on an unconditional basis. An unconditional covenant cannot be broken by the human parties to it because they have no obligation to uphold. It is entirely on God's end to uphold the obligations of an unconditional covenant. And so we read it here. All right. In the context of this, they're gathered at Mount Sinai. Uh, Moses has gone up. He's come back down. Um, they've uh, been rather fearful with the smoke and the fire and the things. They wanted him to go back up and represent him, represent them there. Uh, it's really uh, back into chapter 19 and 20. You start to see some of the fear and some of the failures on Israel's part. But Moses goes up there to represent them. And then you'll notice uh, in chapter 24 of Exodus, he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall people come with him. And I think this is because in, back in chapter 19, they had that fear. They didn't want to be near. They told Moses, you go back and you, you, you report to us. You know, appear before the Lord on our behalf and then be our mediator. And that's, I think, a sad circumstance there. Well, it, it led to this. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice. And they lied. <laughs> they lied, they lied, they lied. But it was unanimous. All the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. <laughs> okay, they are submitting to an uh, to a conditional covenant here via the law of Moses. Here are the Jewish people already the objects of God's unconditional covenant in the Abrahamic covenant. Now they're being presented with the Mosaic covenant, but this one is full of conditions, full of some terrifying conditions, and they. Say, all the words of the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
and they're lying. Now, they probably mean it. I'm sure they're sincere. I'm sure they're all wrapped up in a fervor or a zeal or whatnot. But they should at least have some honesty. You know? Why, was there not one believer to step up to say, uh, can we decline this offer? Was there one believer that would raise his hand and say, I've got a question? We're already under these unconditional eternal covenant promises of blessing via Abraham. Tell me why it is that we want to follow that up with this conditional thing that we really can't keep. <laughs> you know, we are an obstinate people. We are stubborn. We're, we're going we're gonna to blow this sooner rather than later. Um, can we pass on this and, and go ahead and just continue on under the Abrahamic promises? Right? Why did nobody stand up and ask that? Now, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord when he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. And uh, he sent young men of the sons of Israel and they offered burnt offerings and sacrifices, young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. And notice, there are sacrifices being made here. The new covenant likewise has to have a sacrifice. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And the other half of the blood, notice now, wasn't enough to kill the animal and shed the blood. Something must be done with the blood after it's shed. So he took half of the blood, put it in basins. The other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. Bunch of liars. Okay. <laughs> So now notice, Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. Now notice, half of it was set aside. Half of it was sprinkled on the altar. Do you see that? In verse 6. And now this other half that was set aside, where does this get sprinkled? On the people. On the people who accept. On the people that are party to the covenant. And they accept the covenant then that half is sprinkled on those people and they are placed under the covenant. Alright? You've got you to see this connection here because Jesus did the same thing. When He died on the cross, we're told in Hebrews 9 that He went and He cleansed the heavenly temple. Right? That's half of the blood work. That's half of the, of the blood sprinkling. The blood was shed on Friday, April 3rd. But the blood, the blood sprinkling now. Okay? The altar, the heavenly temple. He did that when He ascended to His Father. But there still remains what? There still remains the other half of the blood, right? That's not yet sprinkled. It's going to be sprinkled. It's going to be sprinkled on those uh, party to His promises whose unconditional promises in the case of the second of the new covenant, right? So are you seeing the parallel on this? Alright. Man, you guys are so far ahead of where most there's so much confusion out there related to the new covenant. Related to what it's all about. Related to what this was all about in the Old Testament. So see it as it comes together now. Alright. Likewise and, and this is not alone, by the way. This is not unique. Uh, I, I illustrated the Passover uh, a couple of weeks back. Do you remember that? 
Same thing with Passover. The, the death of the animal what didn't save anybody. The blood had to be applied. It had to be applied to the doorpost and to the lintel over the top. The, the angel of death was going to fly over and he wasn't just going to look for a dead lamb. He was looking for the blood applied, the application of the blood. We talk about the same contrast with our own salvation. The shed blood and the blood applied to my account when I got saved. Christ shed His blood on Friday, April 3rd, 33 A.D. But it wasn't applied to me until September of 1973 when I placed my faith in Christ. Then the, the value for that, the application of that was then made to my account. Right? So we ought to be thinking in these terms and not allow ourselves to be confused pertaining to the shed blood versus the sprinkled blood. Point B. The new covenant will feature sprinkled blood. It has not yet. It has been shed, but not yet sprinkled. The new covenant will feature sprinkled blood when the covenant will be accepted by those party to His unconditional promises. When those party to His unconditional promises accept the terms of the unconditional covenant. You say, well, if it's unconditional, why do they have to accept it? Okay. Well, they've got nothing to uphold. They have no obligations. Once it is accepted, once it is enacted and accepted and in place, they have no obligations, but they must volitionally accept the terms, the unconditional terms. God's not going to force it on them until they volitionally accept the terms. Only then will the sprinkled blood be applied to them. Only then will they have when the nation of Israel will receive their Exodus 24.8 sprinkling. The new covenant will feature sprinkled blood when the covenant will be accepted by those party to His unconditional promises. Matthew 29.39 which is a quotation from Psalm 118. You know, and this is why, by the way, repentance is such a preached message by John the Baptist at First Advent and by uh, uh, Elijah for Second Advent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The idea of repentance, the idea of confessing your sins, the idea of cleansing yourself, being prepared for the coming kingdom was vital for Israel entering into their New Covenant status. It's not a part of our Gospel message today in the church, but it is a part of Israel being prepared for their coming kingdom. Alright, Matthew 23.39 Christ cannot return until Israel as a nation repents. why the second advent can't be today. Israel as a nation has not repented. Israel as a nation is not looking upon the Christ whom they pierced with repentance and grief and sorrow and accepting Jesus as the Christ. To this day, the Jewish nation rejects that Jesus of Nazareth was their Messiah. Matthew 23:39 
And this is part of the lamentation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. Calvinist has a real problem with this. He says, God sovereign or not? Yes, God sovereign. But God sovereignly granted unto us our own volitional accountability. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. He's not going to force the new covenant on them. Not until they accept it. Not until they are, as a nation, repentant. This includes their political leadership. This includes their religious leadership. This includes the preponderance of their tribal elders and clans and, and all the rest. That will there be unbelievers? Of course. But the rebels will be purged and executed before the millennial kingdom begins. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They must be repentant. They must be uh, accepting the terms of the unconditional promises. Fully in compliance with Psalm 118. This is what they were singing. This is what the children were singing on Palm Monday. I love the fact that we're teaching this this week. You know, two days ago was Palm Monday. Uh, two days from now is Good Friday. It's the Jewish Passover. One of the, uh, doesn't often happen occasionally where the uh, Western Christian Easter coincides with the um, Jewish uh, Passover, but it does. Good Friday for us is Passover for the Jews. All right. Um, Psalm 118. Psalm 118. What's interesting, the uh, verse 25 is the verse here that says, O Lord, do save, we beseech you. This is Hosanna. This is Hosanna in the Aramaic. This is what the children were singing when they laid down the palm branches. Hosanna, Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Now, the children were singing Hosanna. The children were laying palm branches down, uh, properly accepting their king, coming in humbly, riding on a colt. But was it coming from the house of the Lord? What were the religious leaders doing? They were telling those kids to shut up. They were telling Jesus and his disciples, shut those kids up. <laughs> and Jesus said, if they shut up, the stones will start crying out because this Scripture has to be fulfilled. But notice now, verse 25 doesn't sit by itself. Look what it follows. It follows verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Israel as a nation is not going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord at first advent. They're not going to say until second advent. They're not going to say until until they've rejected their Messiah and gone through their national dispersion and discipline. But this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We quote that verse a lot as if we have a church age application of it. <clears throat> but sadly, 
The reality is, this is the day when Israel repents and accepts their Christ at second advent, even though they rejected him at first advent. That's the day the Lord has made. We can rejoice and be glad in it. All right. The new covenant will feature sprinkled blood when the covenant will be accepted by those party to his unconditional promises. Then and only then. Then and only then. And it's going to require the majority of the nation. It's going to require the religious leaders. Uh, remember at the time that is going on, there's a great uh, apostasy. There's a great defiling of their temple. The uh, Antichrist is the beast is going to stop the Jewish sacrifices and going to seat himself in that Holy of Holies, put an image in there. The false prophet will put an image in there. They're going to go through some terrible things in the coming tribulation of Israel. But that's what it's going to take to wake them up, to realize, man, what is this? This is what Daniel spoke of. They're going to see the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of and they'll realize that's their sign to run. All right, now. Point C. Although not party to the new covenant, the church is sprinkled. The church is sprinkled by the blood of the covenant. And the church does enjoy the spiritual heavenly components which Israel will enjoy in the coming kingdom. I think it's important that we identify with this. We don't deny that uh, these verses are here. But it's important that we identify with this for our application so that when the confused people try to share their confusion with you, you don't fall for it. Say, well, look, your sins are forgiven. You must be under the new covenant. No. The same blood that will sprinkle Israel is the same blood that sprinkled us. Yes, I'll agree with that. That sprinkled blood sprinkled us. But not to put us under the new covenant. That's a part of our identification with Christ. A part of identifying us with Him who is the mediator of this new covenant. I think it suits us and equips us to be the mediators. To be the mediators. Uh, to, I'm sorry, not mediators. Christ is the mediator. It suits us and equips us to be the ministers. The deacon servant ministers of the new covenant. So point C, although not party to the new covenant, the church is sprinkled by the blood of the covenant and enjoys the spiritual heavenly, heavenly components. <coughs> Israel is an earthly nation. They've always been an earthly nation. They always will be an earthly nation. Even on the new earth, it will be an earthly nation. So the millennium doesn't change that. The new earth doesn't change that. There'll be new heavens and a new earth. They will be an earthly nation on the new earth. We in the church are a heavenly people. On this earth, the millennium and the new earth, the new heavens, we will always be a heavenly people. But there are spiritual heavenly components that Israel will enjoy. We have those components already, not because we've replaced Israel, but because we are a heavenly people. It only stands to reason that we would have spiritual heavenly components similar to what Israel will have in that day. So Hebrews 10, 22 and 29, and we can relate it over to 1 Peter 1, 2. Hebrews 10, verses 22 and 29. 
It says, uh, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is through His flesh. So what, what is this telling you? We have the same priesthood He has. He is our high priest. We are in Him. And just as He didn't go through the earthly veil into the earthly Holy of Holies, neither do we. We go into the heavenly Holy of Holies. And for us, the veil is Him. Rent. Torn. Died on the cross. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, this is our royal priesthood, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean. Mosaic law never could have done this. Mosaic law, the Levitical priesthood, the Levitical sprinklings never could provide the perfection of a cleansed conscience. No Old Testament saint could have operated in the Holy of Holies and the Heavenlies like we can. We have a table to eat that those who served that tabernacle have no right to eat. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This wasn't the silver laver. We have the washing through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit the moment we're saved. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. We operate in this heavenly priesthood and this is, uh, this is where we are. Alright. What a delight. What a delight. 1 Peter 1, verse 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. By the way, this verse destroys Calvinism, which is why they like to deny it says what it says and they change the words. But you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. Now, if Israel has a future sprinkling and we already are sprinkled, can they be talking about the same thing? No. But people who tell you they are have real issues. They're trying to conflate the sprinkled blood of Christ. As if somehow, because there's sprinkled blood, it's, it's all the same stuff. As if somehow, because our sins are forgiven, it's all the same stuff. They will have their sins forgiven. Yes, Israel will have their sins forgiven. The national sins of Israel forgiven. Then the nation of Israel will be redeemed. That's not the same as your personal sins being forgiven. Right? And they will have blood sprinkled after the tribulation. We've already had the blood of Christ sprinkled to us already in the past. It's got to be something different. Let's not say it's all the same thing. All right. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Does anything here have to do with Israel reestablished in the land with millennial blessings and dominion over the Gentiles? None. This has to do with the body and bride of Jesus Christ, the church in Christ, neither Jew nor Gentile, born again of this living hope to obtain an inheritance. Is this Israel's inheritance? The land grant from the river to the river? No. To obtain an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. None of this is related to Israel. Okay? By the way, there are even even Fruchtenbaum, even uh, Aaron Ministries and some other groups try to re-understand 1 Peter as a Jewish for Jewish Christians and try to explain it in a Messianic Jewish bent. And I think they have a flawed approach when they do that. Okay? It's not going to come up on Sunday because we're not going to be in this passage on Sunday. But uh, just know that for what it is. I don't endorse. I invite Ariel to come in and minister here, but I don't endorse everything that's published by Ariel Ministries. All right, so we're not party of the new covenant. The church is sprinkled by the blood of the covenant. And you know what? I may want to I may want to rephrase that. Did we see the term covenant in either Hebrews or Peter? We are sprinkled, sprinkled with his blood, but the term covenant is not in 1 Peter 1:2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. It does not say the blood of the covenant. But we are sprinkled by the blood of Christ. Absolutely. Uh, the blood of Christ is the blood of the covenant. However, we're not party to the covenant. Let me reread Hebrews 10. Our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our bodies washed with pure water. Again, the term covenant's not in there. I think if I was to rewrite that, I would rephrase that, sprinkled by the blood of Christ. Not party to the new covenant, the church is sprinkled by the blood of Christ, and we do enjoy spiritual heavenly components, which Israel will enjoy, similar to the spiritual heavenly components Israel will enjoy in their coming kingdom. I will rewrite that before these notes are published. By the blood of Christ and enjoys the spiritual, heavenly components similar to the spiritual, heavenly components Israel will enjoy in the coming kingdom. Alright. Finally, point five, the last point of study. And for this, we need to turn to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. Communion. Communion is a proclamation of the Lord's death until He comes. Until He comes. Underline that. In recognition of how the shed blood remains unapplied to the nation of Israel. 
Communion is a proclamation of the Lord's death until He comes. He Himself said He is not drinking it ever again until it's fulfilled in His Father's kingdom. So why does He instruct the church to observe this? If we're not party to the new covenant, why do we have this ritual? What are we proclaiming? We're proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. Why is that significant? Because He is coming with unfinished promises for Israel that He must fulfill. Unfinished promises yet to fulfill. In some ways, Christian communion, church-age communion, is a constant reminder that replacement theology is wrong. (laughs) Communion is our constant reminder that Jesus Christ has unfinished business with Israel. We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We are sprinkled and we proclaim His death to those that are not yet sprinkled in recognition that Israel must be sprinkled for the new covenant to be applied to their account. For the kingdom of Jesus Christ, for Jesus to be seated on the Davidic throne. And we have this, interestingly enough, in all of the synoptics, uh, where he's not going to drink this wine again until it's fulfilled. Until it's fulfilled. Likewise, uh, in Mark four, uh, Matthew twenty six twenty nine, Mark fourteen twenty five, Luke twenty two eighteen. Every synoptic gospel records this. That he's giving this to them. They are to commemorate it. They are to do this in remembrance of him. But he's not going to do it again until he's on earth doing this in the kingdom. Grab these real quickly, but they're all pretty much similar. We've already read Matthew, haven't we? Maybe I didn't highlight verse 29 loudly enough, but 26, 29. I say to you, I will not. That's interesting. He says, take, eat, drink from it, all of you. This is my body. This is my blood. And as far as Matthew records, we don't know that this is an ongoing ritual. I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So there's Matthew's account. Mark. Likewise, Mark 14.25 Take This is my body. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So likewise in Mark, there's no clue that he wants them to do this over and over and over again as a ritual, as an ongoing ritual. In Luke 22.18 I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He's never going to eat Passover again until he takes uh, Passover in the kingdom. 
And he taken a cup, take this, share it among yourselves, and say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And then bread. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now we find, we didn't have it in Matthew, didn't have it in Mark. We finally see now where he's giving instructions to do this in remembrance of me. And then the cup, which is poured out for you. I don't think he drank that cup. I think he drank his last cup and said, I'm not drinking again. And then he poured out that cup. Is the new covenant in my blood. Now, we don't do that here. We drink the cup here. You know, we'd wreck the carpet pretty bad if he poured out the cup here. All right. Then uh, 1 Corinthians 11. As often as, as often as. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, and the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I find it interesting. Luke wasn't even there that night. Matthew was. But Luke gave the fullest account of all the synoptics as far as the verbiage our Lord used. Paul wasn't there, but Paul gave the most complete verbiage record here. The uh, red letter terms here in 1 Corinthians 11. But then the explanation. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. It's only a church age ritual. Israel won't drink this in the millennium or in the tribulation or the millennium. This is for us. This is for a sprinkled people to testify that Jesus is coming back to sprinkle this blood to a people that have not yet been sprinkled. Communion is a proclamation of the Lord's death until He comes in recognition of how the shed blood remains unapplied to the nation of Israel. We are a sprinkled people, but there is yet a people yet to be sprinkled. And we proclaim that until He comes. Until He comes. Alright. Any questions on that? Come ask me afterwards. Alright. <laughs> Father, thank You for Your truth. Thy Word is truth. Thank You, Father, that we have a privilege and blessing to study to show ourselves approved. Thank You that this coming Sunday, Father, rather than our normal morning communion, we're going to have a combined Passover communion in the evening. Along with the Passover dinner and the meal and everything, Father. I thank You for the uh, partnership we're able to, do, uh, to uh, partake in with Ariel Ministries. I do pray that, uh, that it would be a blessing for us, for Lost Pines Bible Church who, is, who are joining us, for, uh, for all the folks that come. We're a little bit concerned about not having enough tables and seats, but Father, You're in charge of that. Even if it's standing room only, Father, um, let it be for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let us be instructed. Let us be blessed. Let Your Son be glorified. And I thank You, Father, in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen.